Welcome to the Denker Capital Podcast, where our highly experienced team of in-depth thinkers and other experts share their insights on a range of investment-related topics. In this podcast, we have conversations about developments in South African and global markets and what these may mean for investors. We analyze specific stocks and sectors and explore general themes relating to the fundamental principles that underpin sound investment decisions in an ever-changing world. Today is the 3rd of March, 2022. In this episode, Nigel Barnes talks to Koki Kweman, manager of the Denker Global Financial Fund, about the impact of the Russia-Ukraine invasion on the global banking sector. They also cover Berkshire Hathaway in the run-up to the annual shareholder meeting, which Koki is attending in April. Koki, thanks for joining me. Uh, I'm very glad that I, I caught you this morning, um, because I'm sure all of our listeners are very keen to hear what you've got to say um, about what's happening in the world at this moment. Um, so we'll keep this fairly short, but just talk us through specifically in the build-up of you know, military force pre the invasion, what sort of steps you took regarding specifically, I know you've got two listed Russian holdings. Just tell us a bit about that, what you've done, obviously, clearly what happened during the invasion, and then what you've done since in relation to those, those specific Russian holdings. Yeah, no, thanks, Nigel. Look, we had two Russian holdings, Tinkoff, which is one of the best uh, fintech players in the world, one of the best disruptors. It's, it's followed everywhere in the world in terms of what they've done in terms of their technology and, and growth. Sure. And then Spurbank, which is also an incredibly well-managed bank, but it has got a large government shareholding. In terms of in the run-up to, to the invasion, you know, obviously we had a lot of discussions and to be honest, we got it wrong. We didn't really believe he would invade uh, Ukraine. We thought a lot of the Crimea invasion, uh, which was over in one or two days, uh, that he would just take Donetsk and, you know, the two provinces, which were rebel-held. Sure. And um, we did actually sell down Tinkoff and Spurbank in the run-up, but it was more on valuation and you know, a bit of fear about increasing tension, but we didn't envisage what was going to happen. Sure. Since then, when we started the invasion, uh, we immediately sold the um, spur banks we held, just in terms of the real risk of sanctions because it is a government-owned bank. Sure. And actually, that, although it was already down uh, 50% at that stage, it was still the best decision we made because it was sold down further down to 90, 95% down, uh, and it's almost uninvestable now. A lot of brokers are refusing to deal in Russian shares. And I think the Russian position has just changed so dramatically in the world. It's going to be isolated. So I think for a while it will not be possible to just own Russian shares, and that was a good decision. Tinkoff, Tinkoff is listed in, obviously, London, and main listing is in Cyprus. And you know, we have held on to that. It is a, a half percent position in the fund now. And look, we're debating this every day. But at the moment, you just don't have clarity into what Putin is going to do next. Does he use a nuclear option to just finally subdue Ukraine? A small probability, but the nature of the man is such that he could. And so you're still really gambling. So we, we're sitting. But what I must add, obviously, the fund had a fairly large, about 10% exposure to the surrounding countries, Austria, Ashtabank. 
which has got no Russian exposure, uh, no Ukraine exposure, but has sold down 20, 25% uh, since the invasion. And it just doesn't make sense. So we've gradually started uh, buying Ashtabanks. You know, the same, actually, things like OTP in Hungary or Cook in Poland. Everything has been sold down. Initially, because markets are just worried how far is Putin going to go. And I think also what the impact of sanctions would be. So, yeah, maybe just on that. So sanctions will certainly have an impact on Europe. It will mean higher oil, higher gas prices, higher inflation. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I want to come back to that. But just, I mean, you specifically focused there on um, sort of the Eastern European region and the areas surrounding, you know, the border of Russia and Ukraine. In other regions of the world, and I'm talking the more developed markets of, of US and, and other parts of developed Europe, um, what's been the impact on the banking sector in those markets? Yeah, so until yesterday, when uh, Jay Powell, Fed uh, chairman, gave clear indications that they'll continue hiking interest rates because of the fear of inflationary pressures, sure. uh, US banks were mixed. Up to then, but yesterday saw a sharp turn, and we think that will continue because higher interest rates is very good for the bank sector. We have seen, uh, let's say, regional banks year-to-date are up uh, actually 10% year-to-date. It's actually quite strong, so they haven't really faltered. The investment banks like J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, City who are effectively global banks, mm-hmm. and they all have businesses in Eastern Europe and more market-driven. They've actually been weak. Uh, so J.P. Morgan is now down 10% year-to-date, whereas the regional banks are up. So in essence, U.S. generally stronger, investment banks weak. The real pain has been more in U.K. Amazingly, U.K. was sold off quite a lot. Uh, so U.K. banks... Uh, one savings, one of the ones we hold, we were adding to that yesterday. It's it's um, mortgages in London. Sure. And then European banks were took most of the brunt. Emerging market banks have actually been strong, mainly because of market recognizing that we're going to see higher commodity prices for quite a while. And especially countries like Indonesia, where the fund is invested, Mexico, uh, Brazil, and South Africa. You can see it in South Africa how strong South African market has been simply because investors realize the impact of higher commodity prices on the currency and on the internal dynamics of your tax collection, your budget deficits. So emerging market banks have actually been doing well. Okay. Just to finish on this, I mean, clearly, you know, all our investors like ourselves are, you know, have been shocked and saddened by the humanitarian aspects of everything that's been going on in the world. And we send, you know, all our thoughts out to the people of Ukraine. But just from a clear investment perspective, Kofi, I mean, buying opportunity in the banking sector? Right yeah, now? I mean, my favourite example at the moment is um, 1942 in the US. <laughs> Six months after Pearl Harbor, uh, the market bottomed, and from there on climbed, uh, we, and the war actually only ended with the surrender of Japan in 1946. So the market four years before the war ended, you know how much suffering there was and how many yes. deaths there were in Europe and in the Pacific. And markets actually, sadly, uh, get used to war and, and look past the suffering, as, as terrible as it sounds. But, you know, war actually does create growth. It does create demand. So markets look past that. And so... 
the market has sold off, especially in, in areas that have nothing to do with the war, uh, like Ashford Bank, etc. is one example. IMG down 25% sure. uh, and simply on um, yeah, just fear about inflation in Europe, which is actually good for the banks. So I think it's, it's it definitely uh, buying time. Yeah. Uh, it's a time when you'll be adding to some of these positions. and, and uh, Yeah, certainly, certainly we are. I mean, there are two risks, obviously. The one is that it does use a nuclear option and that the US and Europe get dragged into the war. I just can't see it be that silly, but it, it you can't ignore it. It is an option. And the other one is obviously oil prices escalating strongly now, $114, depending on whether you use Brent or not. So the inflationary pressures and the pressures on, on especially emerging markets are, are negative as well. India is negatively affected by higher oil prices. But countries like, let's say, Japan and Europe are really oil price insensitive. Mm. You know, it's not as important in their daily lives anymore, but it can have an effect. But if you look back in the 70s when you had the oil crisis and that led to stagflation, you know, for a while, it's, uh, you know, bank shares and markets actually did well on that. Sure. Thanks, Cookie. Let's let's change direction um, because the title of this podcast is you know is Banks and Berkshire Hathaway. You know, fairly easy to, to think about what we're going to talk about next. Um, I think you're coming up for your 22nd trip to Omaha. You know, as I said the other day, you've almost been to more um, Berkshire Hathaway meetings than Warren Buffett himself, <laughs> um, But um, just give us the backdrop, um, yeah. Berkshire Hathaway. What, you know, how are they positioned? How are you feeling going into the meeting? What are you expecting? Oh, it's 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 just so nice to think of that. Sure. It's one event that we normally really enjoy. Um, so firstly, Berkshire Hathaway itself actually is very well positioned at the moment. Over the years, uh, Warren Buffett has really changed the composition of, of the business, uh, where it's almost 50% now driven by, by wind energy, energy uh, transport railroads. Uh, so as, it, as the US economy grows, you can imagine how geared uh, the railroad business is the train and uh, especially energy as well. Sure. And then a large part of it is consumer, US consumers in very good shape and will benefit. And then he's still got a, yeah, the large part, uh, the fourth part really in insurance, uh, reinsurance, which uh, like the reinsurers in our fund are doing very well because finally you know, insurers are passing on the cost of all the catastrophes on to you know, higher premiums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously his exposure to the market where he's done very well with his apples, et cetera, et cetera. So Berkshire Hathaway itself uh, reported recently good results, still actually fairly defensive. And so we're looking forward to it, but more also uh, it's, it's always good to go and sit there for six hours, listen to Warren and uh, and Charlie and, and you know, they comments on world events and especially looking forward to hear what they have to say on, yeah. <laughs> on the whole crypto and yeah. the blockchain space. Yeah, sure, sure. I know that's a space you've been um, you've been looking at closely. So, great. Sorry, Koki. Well, please will you come back and report back to us um, after the meeting. We'll do another pod. Um, anybody that is traveling to Omaha and would like to, to catch up with Koki while, uh, while you're there, please let us know. You can get in contact with, with me at Denka Capital. Cocky promises to buy you a beer. Um, he also promises to bring me back some peanut brittle. So um, if you do that, Cocky, we'll have you back on again, and uh, you can tell us, you know, some of the the insights and things you learned during the meeting. So yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, right. just maybe bear in mind, Charlie Munger is 98. I think he's turning 98. Warren is turning 91 or 92. So, you know, there aren't going to be too many Berkshire Hathaways left with sure. two gentlemen on stage. No, sure. Great. All right, Cocky. Thanks for taking some time. I know it's a very busy period for you and for everybody at the moment with what's happening, but I really appreciate you taking 10 minutes or so and, uh, and being on the pod. And travel safely to Omaha. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. Okay, cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you found it interesting. If you would like to join us again, please subscribe for more investment insights. To find out more about our team and the funds we offer, please visit our website at denkercapital.com. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of Denker Capital. This podcast does not take the circumstances of a particular person or entity into account and is not advice in relation to an investment. Please do not rely on any information without appropriate advice from an independent financial advisor. The value of investments may go down as well as up, and past performance is not a guide to future performance. Denka Capital is an authorized financial services provider in South Africa. Please visit denkercapital.com forward slash disclaimers for the full disclaimer relating to the global fund mentioned in this episode.